Here comes the sun. Doo -doo -doo -doo. Here comes the sun, and I say it's all right. Hello, Fortitude audience. Thank you so much for joining us again today. My name is Heather Kittleson, and I am your host, sitting here with my wonderful husband, Amos. Hello. And today in our studio, we have Alon and Grace. Say hello. Hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, we are, we're so excited about the testimony that's going to be told today. Lon was brought into my life probably a year and a half ago or somewhere around there, I think. I would think. say that's about right. I was going to look it back up this morning. Um, just on my LinkedIn, I think I reached out to you and said, hey, can we grab lunch? So we sat at a local restaurant and had a wonderful conversation about how both of us were feeling called to do something more. And we bounced ideas off each other. You were just dabbling into Normal 40, which is your new business, which is so wonderful. I want you to speak to that a little bit. Um, and you've recently become an author and it's flying off the shelves. So I'm really excited about um, our audience to learn about your book called The Trade. And um, the more we got to know each other and the more that I follow your LinkedIn page and I've been watching your growth and all the things happening, um, hearing Grace's story, your daughter, who is with us, um, I was blown away by the way you both handled everything that went on and how open and honest you're being about it is really special. And so um, I want to start with you, Lon. And if you could just tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you've been dabbling in, and then you can jump right into chapter 12. Yeah. Thanks, Heather. Well, it's it's been a ride. <laughs> it's been a ride. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm a South Dakota born and raised farm kid, and that's, that's truly how I see myself. Um, and that's how I've carried myself through each of the three different careers that I've had. Um, I graduated from from uh, South Dakota State University here in South Dakota. I expected to go home and be a farmer. And my phone rang in January before my graduating semester, and it was a U.S. Senator's office. And um, the individual on the end of the line said, we're interested in you coming to work for us, being the eyes and the ears for the senator while he's in Washington, D.C. We understand you you have an appreciation and a passion for agriculture. You have a good ability to relate with people. And we would like your help in writing the next ag bill and, and, uh, to, to be a member of the Senator staff. And look, I, uh, that call came out of left field. I didn't expect to, I didn't expect it to happen. I was a farmer. I already had 120 head of cattle. <laughs> I had ground rented. Anyway, long story short, I, I realized that that call probably wasn't going to happen again. So I went home and I told my dad and that ended up being one speaking of trades. That is a trade I talk about in my book as being the first trade in a series of a few that dramatically altered the course of my life. And, uh, so fast forward, I, I worked for that particular U.S. Senator for six years. Then I spent six years working in finance and banking. Um, I loved it. I learned that people who looked like they had money usually didn't. And the people who looked like they might not have enough gas to make it into the meeting in the bank are actually doing really, really well. And so you learn not to judge a book by a color, but to really get in and understand business and what makes it work and what makes people good at what they do and what makes them, you know, what's, what's just a facade. And then uh, for the last 14 years, well, the next 14 years, I should say, I worked for a, a public company. 
And I ended there leading mergers and acquisitions for a public company and we transacted and I was a sell side M&A guy. And when the deal was coming to an end, something inside of me was really burning to go do something else. I had, I'd done well. I'd lived my life by the book. I'd, uh, uh, done everything I wanted to do professionally and I didn't have to go, but something inside of me was calling and I didn't know what it was. And I realized that my future wasn't at that company. Mm -hmm. So I separated and when I left, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know where I was going to go. So I went to LinkedIn and I just wrote about my story, about what I did, what I had the chance to stay and do, but that I felt called to something greater, something bigger. And I didn't know what it was, but I did it anyway. And I'm going to go figure it out. And my inbox blew up with people from around the world saying, I feel the same way. I want to do the same thing. How'd you know you had enough? How'd you know it was your time? What'd your wife say? What do your kids think? Mm -hmm. What'd your boss say when you mm -hmm. told them? All of the things I realized, I realized in that moment, okay, there's something here. I'm going to lean into that. And fast forward, Heather, I think that's about the time that you and I met. Mm -hmm. I was I was just leaning into that feeling and you were picking up on it. I was. With where you were at in your <laughs> yeah. life. And that's that's the serendipity of this, uh, serendipity of this all mm -hmm. in that that's that's the thing that brought us together. Lon, you threw out a, a piece of paper that was all chicken scratching about it it was so beautiful. You're like, "This is this is what I this is what I'm doing like this. I just got certified and I'm, you're like, you showed all the scribbles and all the, the um, little circles with the lines to them. And what I'm like, this is so awesome. <laughs> I got so excited for you. Um, Cause you had just left. Yeah. You had just left Raven. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't have a clue really what I was going to do. I was just going to show up curious yeah. and whatever was, whatever was leaning on me and my skills, I was going to lean right back and lean into it. And fast forward 18 months from roughly, not even probably 15 months from that time. Uh, my life, I, I, I tell people don't ever underestimate how much your life can change in a year yeah. when you just show up curious to who you are. Yeah. And allow from, from this seat, I always say, allowing God to fully lead your steps if you just press in and you're like, let's go, I'm willing and ready and curious. I love the word curious because I'll tell my kids all the time, or we do, be curious, be curious. But you are curious enough to where um, it's led you into a whole new life where you're helping so many people. But one piece of your story that is is true to my heart that um, brings tears to my eyes actually is going back to your time, you were so involved and so thick in the thick of it with your corporate career that you lost sight of some things. And, um, I think a lot of us do that a lot. There's so many of us parents who are in the thick of it and we're every day waking up, we're going to our jobs, we're go, 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 go. And we lose sight of what's behind our four walls. And Amos and I are really passionate about family and the foundation of family and helping families, um, start getting curious about each other and learning, to, th to thoroughly ask the right questions of what's going on and to dig deep. And so I loved your vulnerability in your book because you spoke to this. You spoke directly to how you lost sight of something that was right in front of you. So can you speak to that? And then we'll have Grace. We'll have Grace move into that. Yeah. You know, um, the name of my company is Normal 40. And, and that's not by accident. I believe that I th and I say this and I, it gets some pushback, but I believe that every single person at some point in their life meets this intersection of the person they've become to that point and the person they're capable of being in their own mind. 
And I believe that they can, even though they can't articulate it, they can't put words around it. They know that the person that they're capable of being isn't the, isn't even the path that they're on. And so they wrestle with this. And, it, and I, and I call that normal 40 because it's normal and nobody talks about it. And it happens somewhere when you've got about 40 years of life left to live. Mm-hmm. So it's normal 40. Um, and that was me. That was me. I was in my mid forties. I had done, like I said, I, I, I have led a professional life that I could not be more proud of. Mm-hmm. And along that journey, probably every single person who's hearing my voice right now through this podcast has been, will be, or is currently in the throes of a portion of their life that is so busy, they feel completely out of control. Yeah. Mm. Just absolutely beside themselves out of control. So what do you do? You just get into this pattern. You just get into this pattern. And every pattern, every day is a pattern. Every week is a pattern. Every month is a pattern. And if you work for a public company, every quarter is a pattern. (laughs) And so you just kind of, you get up and you do your thing. And maybe you work out. Maybe you don't. You're thinking about your first meeting and your second meeting. And you're just grinding it out. You're just grinding it out. And if you're the provider in the household, you you have to grind it out. Because that's the, that's the agreement. That's the unwritten agreement of a marriage. <laughs> Typically, one person climbs, sacrifices, travels, claws, all the things, sacri- misses, misses birthdays, misses anniversaries. But the, but the agreement is, it's unwritten, but the agreement is when you get married, one is going to climb and one, one is going to provide and one is going to kind of take care of the family. Well, that was our, that was ours. That's not universal, but I think by and large, it's substantially most households. And so I was in that phase. I, I was in that place where I was climbing and building and growing. And, and in, in, uh, 2021, uh, the company I worked for was going through a transaction. So the company was, was 65 years old. And we got courted by several different larger companies. And long story short, we were going to transact. Well, I was the mergers and acquisitions guy for the sell side. And so it was kind of, it was two things. It was, it was the pinnacle of my professional career, but it was also, but it was also kind of everything I'd prepared myself to be. So as all of this was going on, I was busy. I was important. Yeah. I was distracted. I was the guy at work who had to go be the guy at work. And when you, when, when you get into that pattern day by day, week by week, month by mm-hmm. month, quarter by quarter, mm-hmm. you really allow yourself to look past some of the things that are going on right under your own nose. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and you think that that's normal and you think that it's right. And so you just kind of go through the motions and you keep going through the motions until something happens and it just absolutely jerks you into a mental state where everything gets recalibrated. And what was important isn't. What wasn't important is. And you do an entirely new accounting of what you're going to do from that day, that week, that month, and that quarter forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment I had um, on uh, on my the night before my last day as in a public company executive. How many, how many hours a week were you working? Do you think up to that point? So look, there's two ways to describe that. I think, you know, I, in the office, I was probably 50 hours a week, which I think is normal, mm-hmm. but I, I write about my book. And I think there again, people are going to be able to relate to this. If, if you really think about when you're not working, mm-hmm. when is that? Mm-hmm. Because if my boss or a colleague would have texted me at 6am, I was going to answer it. Mm-hmm. If my boss or a colleague or a customer would have texted me at 9pm, I would have answered it. Yeah. So technically, was that part of my 55 hours? No. But was I working? Hell yeah. Constantly. All the time. Always. Never off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I write about in the book. I remember I remember 
uh, Grace and her two brothers were way younger, but we were at Disney World. And I'm we're standing in the line of Peter Pan, and I'm starting to get texts from work. And there I am, totally distracted, in the line at Disney World, cranking out this three-page email on <laughs> yeah. on an old i mean it's not even yeah. a good style <laughs> smartphone i mean this was this was goes back a ways yeah. and so i'm plucking it out clucking it out and everything's the world's going on around me and there i am yeah totally absent it's amazing how those boundaries get eroded over time and you just don't recognize them until you mm-hmm. have to until you have to respect the boundary it sounds like we're about to talk about that yeah yeah so i just realized um in in uh, the world of marriage, I did forget to communicate with my husband that we're going to talk and just talk, not keep it at 45 minutes. <laughs> Are we going a long format so today? We might go a little bit longer because um, Amos is really good. He's like the time guy and he will be pointing at this clock for me. And so I wanted to just relieve myself of that in my head because <laughs> Lon and I spoke before this and we said, we're just going to. Let it go a little longer. So for our audience, just know that this could be because this is this is too good to to have Mm -hmm. a time limit on it. So this is um, Lon, I can relate to that so much because same. I just quit my 40 hour and plus job, but I'm still I'm answering things. I'm doing things for the podcast. I'm doing things for the speaking and um, lining stuff up all day long periodically at the pool or wherever I'm at with the kids. It's just, it's constant. You're not, not working. We're always in this, in the frame of mind of, of moving the needle forward. Um, and so as you are driving, which I love how you articulate this and you move the, um, the whole story through your car with you to the celebration, the night that you get the phone call from your daughter and so can you move into that? And then Grace, I want to hear your perspective um, as you were picking up that phone to call your dad. Okay. Okay. So tell us how that all transpired, Lon. So a little bit of backstory, and Grace is going to go into it in much more detail. But um, there there was a situation probably um, a few years before, before this, before I separated from my company. And in what I consider in in self-reflection post-situation, it was lousy, classic lousy, I'm too busy parenting. Um, And and, um, like I said, Grace is going to get into this a little bit more, so I don't know how much to tell and how much not to. But but the point of the matter is this. um, Grace had come to my wife and I, uh, her mom and I, and and explained to us that there had been something that had happened and it had been very bothersome to her. And we were, um, we felt like we were responsive and active and we reached out to other parents who were involved and we felt like we were doing everything we needed to do as parents just to, just to protect her and protect ourselves and, and really be helpful. But then we did something wrong. We assumed that when things were dealt with, we could put it back on the shelf and that we could walk away from it. And then it was just kind of like something that once happened not something that is happening. And I think that's that, that if, if you're a parent, that's what I want you to hear. Um, it's, it's my wife, Mindy and I really thought that when we had dealt with it in the, in the micro and we dealt with it immediately and swiftly that we had dealt with it. It was kind of done. It was behind us. It can be behind her and we'll move on. Well, what we realized is in that, in that time is that we were moving on and she wasn't. And when that happened, Grace got 
wonderfully talented at hiding how she was feeling. Really great. Wonderfully talented. Until this point that I'm going to talk about now, and I'm going to let Grace fill in all the, all the gaps there. But um, it was now my, my, the, the day before my last day as a public company executive. And what happens after your company sells um, is you have a big party. Like, it's a once kind of in a professional lifetime, maybe twice if you're really lucky, uh, opportunity to, to just celebrate yeah. your, your crowning achievement. And we had, uh, we had done that. And so, uh, the executive team and all of our, all of our, um, advisors from, from Washington, DC, from New York, I mean, the biggest of the big names, they were coming in and we were just going to celebrate everything that we had done. And it was, um, I, I was at the office, I went home to change clothes and then I was going back to the party because, uh, that was me. Like I said, I wanted to do all my goodbyes and like, I was, it was a me day, right? Mm -hmm. It was look at me and that's what it was. And, um, and so I came home and I left and I was driving back to the party and my, my text messages would lighten up from my buddy, I, all my colleagues and like, Hey, when are you coming? When are you going to be here? Everybody's waiting. And I'm like, yep, I'm on my way. And then my phone rang and I can, I can walk you to within probably about two square feet of where my car was when my phone rang on the, on the, on the planet. And it was grace. And of course her name comes up and I'm driving and I look at it. And now this is, this is the part I write about this. Mm -hmm. I'm ashamed about what, what happens from here. I look at it and I put my phone back down in my passenger seat. And I just immediately think this can wait, but something, something immediately said, just answer it. So I did. I grabbed the phone and, uh, and I said, Hey, Grace, what's going on? She, and she said, dad, I'm not good. Well, as a dad, the first thing you think of in that moment is okay. Not uncommon for a teenage girl to, to be having a bad day. All right. So what's going on, Grace? And she said, dad, I need to go to the hospital. Okay. Page two. Now I'm thinking, okay, she's a cheerleader. She's into gymnastics. She's driving. Maybe there was an accident. Maybe there's, there's, she's, she's hurt physically. Yeah. And, um, and I'm like, okay, what, what happened? Tell me more. And she said, dad, I'm not good. I'm not good. And I'm having bad thoughts. So now that's different. Now page three is a different page and I'm, I'm still reasoning through this, but keep in mind, I'm still operating from the, Hey, we put this on the shelf a year ago. Yeah. She's been good. So I remember saying out loud, grace, can we deal with this tomorrow? Yeah. Can we just deal with this tomorrow? And, um, and then she said, probably the six words that I will never forget, dad, I'm not good. And I need you to believe me. Mm -hmm. When your child says, I need you to believe me, please listen. Mm -hmm. She had my attention and, uh, I said, okay, what's going on? And she said, I'm having bad thoughts and I need to go see a doctor. I need to go see someone about this. I said, okay, I'm turning around. I'm coming home and I'm yours. And, um, her mom was, she's a kindergarten teacher and she was still at school. And so I called her and she came home and I'll stop there and we'll get into where the story goes from there, but I'm going to turn it over to grace to, to fill in the gaps. But that was the moment that was the very unproud, very, and I'm going to say this very normal moment that I think a lot of parents are going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to feel what I just said about can this wait? They're mm -hmm. going to have looked at their phone and said, I'm going to answer this later. And had I done, had I acted on my original instincts, we might be having a very different conversation on this podcast today. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. It is. It is. I've been in your situation where um, I had that prompting 
and Heather and I have a very similar story. And so it's, it's easy to minimalize and to think and have rose colored glasses about that moment. It really is. And that's a normal thing. And I have same where I, I had a prompting from, from the Lord that said, you need to work from home today. And I also said, nah, why, why, you know, I can, I can, I can, I need to go to the office. I'm, that's where work happens. And it could turn around and, and we were able to intervene on, on your story, yeah. but it's not about me, but I just want to say that's very, like what you said, it's common. That's normal. And there's a lot of people out there that are listening to this have a, a terrible outcome and regret to those. What would you say to someone who's feeling regret? Cause they didn't make this, the type of decision that you did. I don't know if there's anything I can say. I would say, um, look, and I, I talk about it in the book, probably the only thing that differentiates me from someone who got a different phone call, not from their daughter asking for help, but from a sheriff saying, I need you to come in here. There's been, there's been an incident. The only difference that separates me from most of those parents who are also smart, articulate, hardworking, mm -hmm. loving, and busy is that I got lucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I had a daughter who's smart, intelligent, brave, and she parented me when I needed it. Yeah, that's the difference. I got lucky. Mm -hmm. I got lucky, and so man, uh, if somebody is on that side of the story, my heart goes out. I have nothing but love and admiration, and I know that it is not the result of bad parenting. Mm -hmm. Right. I agree. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's, Ooh, there's your voice. I, I want to, there's also along those lines. Um, you had said grace was so good at hiding it. I was so good at hiding it. Yeah. So that is usually the case. It's not the bad parenting. It is not that the parents did not love their children or do what they would do as a parent. Our world is, there's so much in our world that, is so far gone. Right. And there's this, there's like this deep, deep, deep sadness and darkness that a lot of people deal with. And no matter how hard we try as parents, um, unfortunately there's so many that are good at hiding it until it's right. I want to, this is really important and I want to be sure I get it out now because I don't, I would hate to skip over this. And I didn't realize this until after everything. Um, if, if you, are struggling with something and you're hiding, yeah. you're hiding it. Um, you're hiding it for real, you know, very personal reasons, but, but when you're an outsider and, and you don't know what's going on, what you think about when you reason about your head is, well, and let's, I'm just going to use grace. What, what my natural instinct was in, in Mindy's too, my wife was, man, what did, what did we get wrong? We've, we've tried to give her everything. We've tried to provide her the opportunities. We've tried to provide a loving home. We've tried. To, and in our mind, we use, we use our cerebral, um, you know, what you, what we'd think about as being healthy and good and all the things that should be helpful. But it wasn't until Grace and I, after, after, um, she'd, she'd come back home from the hospital and we were having a heart to heart that I realized that actually makes it worse. Because, because when we were, and she, when she told me this, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And this is why I want everybody, I mean, 
I want everybody to hear this. It was harder for Grace because of how blessed she was on so many levels. Because when she was feeling like she was feeling, I mean, and it, I'll never forget when you told me this, Grace. When you were feeling like when you were, you were feeling, and you couldn't blame a divorce. You couldn't blame a broken home. You couldn't blame drugs and alcohol. You couldn't blame so many things. Who are you going to blame? Who's left? Mm-hmm. You you wore that. And it wasn't it wasn't until you told me that that and once you once you did, I mean what a what an enlightening moment. But it's so powerful from and no matter which side of this you're on, somebody who's struggling and just trying to figure out how to bust your way out of it, or somebody who's wondering if somebody's struggling and wondering how you can help, just know that by making everything on the outside, the better that is sometimes, the harder it is for those who are struggling. It yeah. actually makes it worse. The beautiful family, yeah. the loving husband, mm-hmm. all of the things that I'm sure, whose fault is it if you can't be happy when you've got that? Yeah. You wear it yeah. and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And what do you do? You get better and better and better about hiding it. Yeah. I Look, I just want, I, these are all things that I learned the hard way. I mean, I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm some I'm here preaching like I've got to figure it out. I don't. But these are lessons that I'm here so that we can help the next person yes, avoid some really. of these things. So having having sharing some of the things that I learned along the way, I'm hoping just opens the door to some conversations. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's all we want. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Thank you for sharing all that. Cause you're right. You're spot on. How dare I feel this way? How dare I go here, go there? Because yeah. I have a beautiful husband who loves me and four beautiful kids. And I would sit there and that's what would draw me deeper and deeper and deeper into that spot yeah. that we're going to go to, Grace. So share share your side of things, if you can go back. Okay, will do. So yes, um, there was an incident that had happened with a boy when I was 15. It was my sophomore year of high school, New Year's Eve. Um, but then again, that situation had happened and... I was like, that. there's no way that that could have ever happened to me. Like, there's no way that I was sexually assaulted. Like, that wouldn't happen to me. Like, I've been raised. I have a voice. But in that moment, after three years later, I learned that that was a trauma response. I froze, and I didn't know what to do. So, but back then, when I was 15... I was, I was little, I was innocent. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I was like, this is just all my fault. And so, yeah, I told my parents about that. Didn't, I I wasn't originally going to. Did you right away? I did. I told them a day or two after. Wow. That's big. Yes. Kudos to you, Lon. I want to just state that because open communication in a household is so important. Yeah. That a child can feel like they can go to their parents or a sibling or someone and open up right away. So good for you that you did that. Thank you. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, like what my dad said, I just was like, all right, you got to get over it. Like it happened. There's Mm -hmm. nothing you can do. And you know, you Mm -hmm. just got to keep going. Like there's, there's nothing you can do. And then, uh, that was January of 2020. So then COVID hit. Uh, and so then that added on isolation on top of all of this and, just like the world stopped and the anxiety of COVID and yeah, just like the isolation piece really became a big thing for me. So then, yeah, the world was shut down. This had just happened 
three months prior and I was just alone with my thoughts. And so that kind of started to eat at me more and more and more. And then when we finally got to kind of where it was getting a little bit better um, and got back to school then my junior year, um, things I thought things would be better. So, you know, we were back in school. You're back with your friends. I was in cheer, but uh, things got worse. They got worse before before anything. And so I kind of suffered my way through my junior year, fought through it. And then first semester of my senior year hit and same thing. I was it's still just like some days were good. Some days were horrible. Um, but I was so good at masking my feelings. I kind of started to believe that I was okay. Mm. But Grace, what were your feelings? Like when you say things started to get, um, harder, what were you internalizing? What were you going through? I was just blaming myself, um, for one, what had happened. Like this is all my fault. Just a lot of that guilt and shame. Um, and then, when that like depression and anxiety piece came that only added to the guilt that added to the shame. Like, how could I let this happen? Um, like how could I have done this to my parents? How could I have done this to myself and even his family? I felt bad for his family because I had put them in this situation. Yes. So you're in your senior year. Yes. Yep. I'm in my senior year. Um, it was January 26th to be exact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a Wednesday night after school. Um, and I was just feeling really down, really, really sad. I was starting to have really bad suicidal thoughts and I had dealt with those for the, for a good, like two years off and on, you know, leading up to this, but that t- this night I had, um, during that school day, I, a teacher, kind of like snapped at me and was like, don't talk while I talk. And that just like put me over the edge and I apologized and my apology wasn't accepted. And so then I was like, that's it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so done. And so, yep. I went home. I just, I just cried. And I was like, like, this is it. Like if, I'm so upset with myself and like even my teachers don't like me and value me. And so, yeah. And it just like kept, it just kept eating at me and I was home alone and yeah, but I'm so blessed that I, this, this part is where the, just the Lord comes in and intervenes this whole situation. Um, one of the teachers that uh, worked at the school, she wasn't my teacher at the time, but she was just young, super sweet. She had um, given me her number a couple months prior and was like, text me or call me if you ever need to talk or anything. Like, you know, um, she wasn't, yeah, she had been my teacher a while back, but she, she wasn't. And so the teacher gave you her cell phone number. She did. She did. Did she know your situation? No. She did not. Okay. No. And I texted her and I was like, Hey, can you call me when you leave work? Cause I was a senior. So I was home, um, during the school day. That's why I was like home alone. Um, and she had left work early because she 
now told she's told me the story she felt the lord saying you need to leave and you need to go call that girl you need to go call grace so she called me and i'm just bawling i'm just bawling and i'm like i don't know what to do and she's she didn't even ask questions she just said get out of your house you need to get out of your house and meet me somewhere mm-hmm. and she sat with me for four hours in a parking lot in her car and I didn't tell her that I was I didn't tell her that I was going to end my life I didn't tell her anything until I went back I went home because my parents then had gotten home and I when I got home I texted her and I was like thank you for saving my life and she told me she just like collapsed to the floor when I sent that um and then, yeah, the next day, that is when I called my dad and was like, I need to, I need to go to the hospital. I'm still feeling this way. I need help. So this conversation with your teacher was the day before she called yes. you. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. It was the day before. And yep. So the next day, kind of same thing, just going through the motions. I was trying to work up the courage to ask my parents, you know, if I could go get help because I was just, I was miserable. And I was, I knew deep down that I didn't want to die. I didn't want that. I just wanted the pain to end. Yeah. And I felt that like, just, I felt that through the Lord, like the Lord was, I knew the Lord wasn't done with me. Mm -hmm. I knew that. And I mean, I just, yeah, I just knew that deep down, even though the voices in my head were so much louder I could still hear his voice uh so yes I the next day called my dad um and I had no idea that it was his big day (laughs) you didn't no (laughs) I don't even know if you knew that I didn't know that um my mom had said something like he was at work but I was like I I need to I need to call my dad and I was gonna I called him first before my mom and so I did. And yeah, I, I called him and I barely remember calling him, but I just remember crying and being like, I need to go, like, I need to go now. And the next day or that night, even that night we went in, I got an assessment done at Avera Behavioral, um, which is like a hospital in town. And I, yeah, I got that assessment done. They said, they came in they talked to my parents and they um, said, you know, yeah, I think it would be good for her to get admitted into our facility. And so then. Was that scary for you? Oh, I was, I was, I was scared, but I was relieved. I was like, this, this girl believes me. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I still wasn't a hundred percent sure if my parents would like know how bad it was. Mm-hmm. It's like, this girl sees me. Mm-hmm. But then I think it got real when she started going over, you know, like the safety plan for when to go home yeah, to, yeah. since I was still going home for that night, since they didn't have any beds available, first of all, they were full. So I had to go back the next day and get admitted and wait for someone else to get discharged. And so we went home and they gave my mom and my dad a pamphlet um, of like a safety plan when, when, when you go home. And it was, you know, make sure all the pills and the cabinets are locked hidden she asked if there were any guns in the house Mm -hmm. and I just remember my my mom was just she her jaw was just like dropped and she was like 
what do you mean? Like, just like shaking your head, like in complete disbelief, like that couldn't be my daughter, mm. you know? Um, and I felt bad cause I was like, like, I didn't know, you know, I mm-hmm. just, I was like, no way, like this is happening. Like it's so surreal. Isn't it's it? so surreal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time through it all, I was just so relieved that this, this doctor had believed me and I had some hope cause I was like, all right, the next day it's going to be a start new chapter. Here we go. And so, yeah, uh, the next day that next morning, my dad took me in and I got admitted and the admission process was awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. Grueling process. Um, awful because it, because it takes time or because it's so personal. It's just so much. You get taken into this room. She told me to take out my jewelry. I just gotten my nose pierced mm-hmm. and she was like, take that out. You're like, no, it's going to close up. I want to keep that. I know. And she, she had taken my phone away and I was just texting the uh, teacher. I was just texting her where I was going and I was saying goodbye and I didn't get to finish my text before my phone got taken. So then I got emotional and I was like, my phone, like I need (laughs) to just finish the text. Um, But yeah. And then grueling, but worth it. It was, it was, but I was wearing a hooded sweatshirt um, when I went in there and they were like, nope, you can't wear that. You have to change. <laughs> yeah. And they gave me a sweatshirt to change into. And I was like, man, and they took my shoes. Yeah. And then I had to walk back in and sit with my dad as he was getting hammered with, this is what we're going to be doing each and every day. This is what your daughter's going to be going through. Like, this is this, this is that, the, you know, scenarios. Mm-hmm. And I, he, I walked in and he had tears in his eyes and I was crying. It was just, Yeah. The whole process, yeah, wow. I feel clammy listening to you talk about that because I've I've been there. And there's nothing, you realize the severity of it, right? So you don't go in because you're going to have a birthday cake and they're going to sing to you. You're going in because it's a matter of life or death. Yes. And so some people's situations are harder than others. Some people's are like, this is their fifth, sixth attempt. Mm -hmm. And they are, I mean, it's just, it's so, cause everyone's story is so all over the board that they have to treat you pretty, pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Like when they were taking things from me, my compact for my makeup, yeah. I'm like, what, what, what do you, and they're like, because someone could break that glass yep. and they could, they could slip themselves with it. And I was like, what? Or they took my conditioner because yep. some people get high on conditioner. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> come on people. But it was so, I, then I realized quickly, like, wow, this is a really big deal. Yeah. Like with the state that I am in there, this is no joke. Yeah. And even though I was kicking and screaming. And thank goodness they, they take it. Yeah. They're professionals. They take yeah. it seriously. Yeah. They know. Yeah. Mm. Even when we're like, no, 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 this is not, nope, this isn't right. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not that bad. Yeah. Really? I'm not that bad. Well, yes. it's just a matter of time that we get there. Right. Yeah. Um, so Something that we're, thank you for sharing all of that, Grace, first off, because that's, um, your story is happening all over the place right now. We're hearing it more and more and more that it's getting actually younger in age, the suicidal thoughts, eight-year-olds, yep, seven-year-olds, like people that were like, wait, you're supposed to be out playing with frogs in the front yard, like joyful and loving, (laughs) like coming from... Um, parents of a six, seven, eight year old who has frogs in the front yard, literally like that's what they're supposed to be doing. And yet they're admitting Mm -hmm. into hospitals. So, 
Um, can you speak to the young men and women that are in your situation that, um, or this, the, the grace that was there on new year's, like we really want to teach something that is on my heart is to teach our younger generation, the, who they are and how precious they are in Christ, like their purpose on this earth and how beautiful, um, like their mindset of, of their purpose. If we were to get that right in our kids from the very beginning, like I'm on this earth, I have a mission to do and you don't get to, to do things to me. Like you don't like the boundaries, right? So boundaries are not taught. Um, they weren't taught to me as a kid. They, I got myself in situations. I was raped in college because I was just a people pleaser and I allowed people to do what they want with me. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, I want to make you happy. Right. Okay. (laughs) Like, no, no, we have to be able to speak into the lives of individuals and say, this is your body. This Mm -hmm. is your purpose, your life. You do not get to do things to me unless I give you permission. Right. And so, um, there's just this education piece that's missing. I really believe in the gen and just in general, um, from boundaries to love, to love languages, to different things. And so speak to, speak to other people who have maybe gone through what you're, go- what you're going, what you went through, and then just what you wished you would have processed differently, how you can speak into the live lives of them. Sure. Yeah. So, um, like you mentioned boundaries, I think, um, I think that's such an important thing to teach and it's not selfish. Mm -mm. It's not selfish to set a boundary and say, you know what? I, I, I don't like when you, um, touch me or I don't like when you say that to me or that makes me uncomfortable. Like, it's okay to say that. Mm -hmm. Like you were born like the Lord handcrafted you mm-hmm. like you were born in the image of God. Mm-hmm. You do not need to be ashamed to say what you need. Yeah. Like it's just so important. It's, it's not selfish. You, if the other person maybe needs to stick, take a step back, maybe they are doing this to multiple people for you to take that brave step and say, no, thank you. I don't want to, not today. That is like, that's just, that's okay. That's so important and that's okay. And that's something to be proud of once you say it. Yeah. But then there's also that piece, like if something did happen and you didn't say it and you're ashamed because you let it happen, you didn't let it happen. Like someone, you know, I, my therapist had told me this and it's really stuck with me. Like you could be standing in front of someone naked and that doesn't give them the right to touch you. Mm. And I think that's so powerful because it's so true. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Um, and so like they did that to you. You did not put yourself in that situation. You didn't know it's a trauma response. You know, you, you either freeze, there's the fawn response, which is the people mm-hmm. pre people pleaser response, um, which I had like that fawn response, the freeze response, um, and then the flight response and all, all people are different and you never know how you're going to react in that situation. And like, 
it's it's okay like i'm so i'm so sorry that happened to you if it did um because it's it's awful and it shakes your whole world it takes a lot away from you that you'll never ever be able to get back Mm -hmm. um but no matter what the severity is it doesn't matter if you were saying no and fighting back like it and it it happened or you didn't or you didn't say anything at all like that's still a trauma response that's still something that happened to you not because of you you know so i think um that's something really big that i'm like passionate about too um and then just something that i wish i would have um learned earlier realized earlier was to accept the fact that he did that to me and it wasn't my fault just because I didn't say no um or because I didn't fight back or anything like that um so just yeah I don't know kind of that it takes to Yes. So it was the, the guilt and everything does not fall onto you. Yes, yes. Which you were taking. Right, right. And then that that makes a already very hard situation even harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to carry that by yourself, like, man, that's just, that's just too much. That's too hard. Yeah. And so, yeah, just to make sure you talk about it, tell someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but like also when I first had told my parents the, the situation, I had told it from a point of view as if it was my fault. Cause that's what I believed. So it that yeah it just mm. yeah if that makes sense when you when you told them did you, did you think it was done like your parents did did you feel i mean did you feel relief and then did you think oh okay we can move on or what was no what was the next day like <laughs> not at all i was relieved that i had told them but then i never wanted to talk about it again mm. so then it, it, it became a it would became a, a challenge if they'd brought it up what would you have said i'm probably like i don't want to talk about it i'm fine yeah which feeds into this the situation this is this is real what mm-hmm. she's talking about right here and that um and we we uh can i ask grace a question please i'm mm-hmm. learning here too um grace i want you to go back to roughly two weeks before we took you into a very behavior health and i want you to channel you who you were then what advice would you have today for you then what would what would you go back and tell yourself to do in hopes of of getting help oh gosh that's a hard question um to, honestly honestly i would just tell them to pray mm. i'm i would because i know it sounds silly that's so cliche no, but it's it's, it's just such it's i prayed i never through it all, I never stopped praying. And that honestly made the guilt worse because I was like, I'm still following the Lord. How could I possibly feel so sad and mm-hmm. so so over life? Mm-hmm. Like I knew that I was a child of God. I knew he handcrafted me. I knew all the things that he had in store for me, but I still felt this way. So that added to the guilt. Yeah. But I'm so glad I never stopped talking to him about it mm-hmm. because he gave me Alyssa, the teacher. Yeah. Which, for those who 
are listening to this and may may not even know the Lord. Like, right? There's a lot yeah. of people who are like, "What? Who's this? T- pray, pray. What do I? How do I pray?" Mm-hmm. And um, I do believe that it did, like, and I learned in treatment too, a higher power. Right? They use that in the twelve steps. Your higher power. Just just talk. Just pray to your yep. higher power. I don't care if it's an apple. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to have a two way, even if it doesn't feel like two way. Does it? That's but, what the twelve steps says. Does it? Find that whatever that is. Define whatever your higher power whatever is, even is. if you don't believe in God, right? Yeah. And so, but there is, there is a God. And the fact that you are praying, like, just give me, like, just, I need something, Lord. Mm-hmm. And this beautiful soul that he gave to you is, I mean, to come full circle, that's how he works. Were you, what, what did that prayer look like? Were you on your hands and knees? Or is it just on the way to school, a quick in your head? Can you describe what your prayers look like? Um, I, the, I just, the reason for that question is because I think some people go, I'm not praying enough or yeah. the right way or the hard way. Right, right, right. I, to be honest, I probably should have prayed more. Um, I didn't, I didn't really pray when I was at school, but when I got down to it, when it was between, I'm going to make this horrible decision when I was going to just be done, all I had left was to pray. Mm-hmm. So if I was, usually I was in my bed, you know, just Looking out the window, I would try and, you know, take a deep breath, fold my hands, close my eyes, and just talk out loud. I would say, Lord, help show me the road that you have for me because I know it's there. Help me, help make it more clear. Help, help, you know, give, help give me help, you know? Um, And yeah, there's no, right or wrong Mm-mm. way to pray. No, there's not. So that's the right. beauty in it. Right. There's no pressure behind um, how you need to pray or what you should do. Mm-hmm. I mean, just... Just do it. Just do it. Don't be afraid. The Lord will hear you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No he'll he'll what. meet you where you're at. Yep. He loves you. Yes. He's not going to say, well, not on your knees. Right, right. Exactly. Just pray. Yeah. It's such an unconditional love that no yes. matter what you say, it's, yes. there's no right or wrong yeah. at all. Yes. And it may not feel like he hears you because you still feel broken, but oh boy, he does. Mm -hmm. It's, I always, the the interview right before this, he used the term checkmate and he would say how every single time something felt like how God always came back and was like, see, (laughs) you know, like I was, he's working behind the scenes all the time and will put things and people and different things in your life that you'll see and you'll go, oh. All along, you've been here all along, even when you don't feel him mm-hmm. or feel like he's there, he's there. Yeah. And he's just he's working. He's working overtime for each and every one of us. Yeah. Um something else I just wanted to speak to, Lon, because the on the parent side of things, um there th- there's a lot of like you said, man, we're all in this just grind and we're going and we're going and um just some advice as to how, when you look back to those moments, maybe things that you would have done differently, put yourself in those spots. It's really easy to find yourself distracted and um, not present. So I'm going to give, I'll give two pieces of advice. Um, one is find a language Find a language that works with your kids because your language that you use with your spouse doesn't work with your kids. 
It doesn't. Grace is shaking her head over yes. here. And yes. it doesn't. And and you'll think that it does. And you'll think that it should. And you will convince yourself when you say something, you've done something. You've you've communicated it. But it's not it's not the right language. And so my my advice for both before and after is find the language. Find the language that you need. Um, and if that means and, and you gotta get creative. You got to kind of get creative. Um, I mean, I remember I remember downloading Snapchat, not because I was I had a bunch of people I wanted to toss some snaps to because that's what my kids <laughs> yeah. were on. Heck yeah. That's what my kids were on. I, OK, well, I, if if that's if they're not going to respond to a text, but apparently if I if I snap them, they'll they'll reply back or if I do some filters, I can engage. Yeah. And it's learning a language and you've got to do that. Hmm. And the other language um, we we created after after this incident was and Grace said something super important after she told Mindy and I about what she'd gone through she said she didn't want to talk about it anymore well we did we did and we would try to talk to her and she would shut down shut us down walk out uh-huh. it wasn't the language it was intrusive <laughs> it was it was all the things she didn't want to talk about that you want to say something I've never seen her do this before it's foreign to me please dad yes I'm here okay wait now I kind of forgot what it was oh uh, yes I um I remember I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't really feel heard by my parents the first time the first time I had mm. talked to them about it because you know, they had to learn how to listen to me. There was so much that they wanted to say about the situation and mm-hmm. all the questions that they wanted to ask that I didn't have the answers to because I was just, I didn't even fully remember what had happened right. that night. And so I just didn't feel heard. And I was like, I was so embarrassed. I was like, this is just all my fault. So. Oh, that's a good point. Cause it's a very mm, personal thing you're talking yes, about. Yes. I, with your parents. And I felt bad yeah. that I was the kid that had to give them this trouble and this worry and all this. I felt bad that I was the kid that had to mess it up. Gosh, Grace, you just, the whole, like, if I sum it up, it's like you became a burden in your mind to everybody around you because of what had happened. Like, I didn't want to burden my mom and dad with all this stuff and make it their problem now. And like, that's a, that's hard. Yeah. That's hard. And all you wanted to do was take it from her. Line. All we want to do is fix it. Yeah. What a tough That's situation. Yeah. You both are kind of like going the same direction, but opposite directions at mm-hmm. the same time. We're like and magnets that like won't actually click. You know how mm-hmm. you like. Yeah. yeah. You like. That's actually fun. To, where you're like, you know what? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The negative and positive. <laughs> yeah. I want to close this loop on language. Okay. One of the things we learned, um, and you know, we got a lot wrong. My God dang it. We got a lot wrong. But it wasn't for a lack of care or love or trying. It's just you got to learn a new language, um, and you you parent here. You parent something like this. You, you through your professional life, and you parent toddlers and elementary school kids and middle school kids with your mouth, and you you coach them and teach them, and you really you you mold them through action, of course, but you also mold them through correcting them by use of your mouth. But in this situation. All of our feedback, all of our questions, all of our advice, all of the things that normally we could solve with our with our advice and just being parents and having been through this, it was futile. It was worthless. 
it was an attack. We didn't know it. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. but she was feeling attacked. So when we'd come back and we'd look the next week or the next month or whatever, we'd come back. We'd want to talk about it. She would shut us down. Well, that's not acceptable either. Um, So we decided we would, we would create a language and it was simple. It was simple. It was a numbering system. Hmm. I said, Grace, here's the deal. You don't want to talk about it and you don't have to, but we're your parents and we want to know about it and we get to. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a numbering system from one through five. Okay. And, uh, and one is, um, I'm doing great. No problems. Uh-uh. Two is, I got it backwards. Sorry. This better get this right. <laughs> five is I'm doing great. No worries. Disney world is the example. Yep. You gave. Oh, Disney world. Thank example. you. Gosh. Yeah. What a good example. So five, Disney World mindset. I'm floating. I'm flying. I'm on top of the world. I got nothing to worry about. Four, pretty good. Just, you know, whatever. I got in a fight with a friend. We're cool. Now, three is, you know, I've had a, I've had a string of some bad days. Two is keep an eye on me. And I don't want to talk right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I've got some things I'm working through. And one, I told her, if I ever get a one, I'm coming for you. No matter where you are on the face of this planet, I'm coming for you. And what she gave me on January 28th was a one. Mm -hmm. And I came for. Yeah. And that was a way for us to communicate without being intrusive. And and the other agreement was if she gave us a three, we couldn't follow it up with what happened. We just got the number. Mm -hmm. And the only time when we were going to dig in was if we got a one and maybe a two. And that was that was the agreement. So she did. She could just give us a number. And we're done. And we're how often did here. you ask? I would say early on, it was regularly, daily, and then weekly. And even now, even today, mm-hmm. I heard mom ask you just recently, <laughs> yeah. how, give me a number. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, nice. so it's, it, it works. And how did you, how did you feel about the number, Grace? I had a love hate relationship with it. Oh, yeah. I did. I did. I was like, I don't want to tell them anything. This is stupid. Yeah. You know, but I also, it worked well most of the time. There were a few times when I was like already at a one and I didn't want my parents to know. And so I was like, yeah, I'm at like a three or four mm-hmm. or, and then it turned into uh, five. I'm doing awesome. But nearly I was at a one and I just didn't want questions. So That's- it works well. But you have it, to be honest. That, yes. Is that how it went for the first X amount of days, but then the honesty started to come out? Or was that something that sustained for a long time? Um, It kind of depends on the day. Um, sometimes I was honest and I was like, yep, I'm I'm not doing well. I'm at like a two or even sometimes I'd text them and they wouldn't ask. Like I remember one time I texted them and they were out at dinner and I was like, I'm at a two right now. Mm-hmm. Um. But then there, some days were just harder to, it was just harder to be honest. And I really didn't want questions. So I would say I was at like a three or a four. Yeah. Do you think you, did you think about it every single day? Think about what? The incident and how you were feeling from New Year's Eve until this day, every day, every single day. Isn't that crazy? How much, oh man, that's. It's, it's something from an addict side of, or an, from the addiction side of things and just the, the consumption of your brain and your emotions, how 
it's bondage. It's the worst bondage that a person walking on the face of this earth can actually go through. It's like, because you, it just starts to eat and eat and eat any, you can't even comprehend. You can't walk through life in your full purpose and joy and peace and all the things that come from God. Right. Right. It's like the devil just straps on these balls and chains and I got you now. Right. And then you try to walk through and then it's muck and it's heavy. And, and so when you think about that every day, right. Yeah. And everyone around us is going, doing their thing and going about their day and just how all consuming something like that can be. And it's crazy how I still think about it every single day, but the day my therapist looked me in the eyes and said, Grace, it is not your fault. That day she told me that and, um, and told me about the fawn response and how that's actually a real thing. Yeah. Like your yeah. body can actually just be so scared. It just lets someone do anything they want mm-hmm. to you. Um, so the day I learned about that and the day I heard that sentence, I still think about it every day, but in a completely different way. I let myself think about it. I don't push it away. I let myself think about it and I let myself be sad and I let myself grieve the situation that had happened and I feel better after mm-hmm. I do that versus before for a good three years versus before then I, I would think about it and I would beat myself up for it. Going through that. I'm very sorry that the, all of this has transpired, but man, the girl that I'm looking at right now, Grace, like the things you've learned and what you've gone through, the lives you are going to change. So another like little notch, I guess, in your brain to think about like, yeah, I went through that. That's so hard. And that sucked. That was awful. Yeah. But gosh, dang it. I'm getting like, I am full speed ahead and I'm going to light this world up with the, who God made me to be. Right. And now I know exactly where I stand. Guys better watch out. Like (laughs) don't even mess with. And cause lawn's coming for you too. If that's right. (laughs) But like, just you're a beautiful soul and you, you can tell like you just have matured and your, your wisdom ha- has, it's far beyond anyone, like people your age. So Thank kudos you. to you for attacking it head on, calling your dad, speaking out, sitting here today, like you're truly making a difference thank in this you. world. And thank so you thank so you much. for doing that. Of course. Is there any last things that you guys would like to say or Amos, if you have any other questions? I love the, I love the, the communication tool. Yeah. And, um, I love how that you put not just a number five is good. One is bad, but you tied some descriptions to it. And I appreciate your honesty on how it works sometimes and it works sometimes, but you stuck through it. You stuck with it and you're still sticking with it. Yeah. It's still a tool that you use today. It just took some time to get through it. It gets easier to be honest. Good. That's good. I was in a meeting today with my team and I didn't want to be honest when I rated the end of the meeting. I'm an adult because <laughs> I, I felt bad about how I felt about it, you know? And, yeah. and, and that's a, that's a tough thing. And, uh, but it's a tool that we get to use. And my encouragement to our listeners is don't give up on that and right. iter- iterate, keep trying and just communicate about the communication. And right? listen. That's another big one too for and, parents. And listen. Mm-hmm. Let the parents listen. Yeah, is that how, that's how hard is that to just listen? You know, um, it is hard. It's hard for everyone, 
But if you're really being honest, it's harder for some than others. Um, you know, and, and that's just, that's just a fact of the matter. Um, and we're all as parents wired to be fixers. I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to fix, we want to fix whatever problems our kids have. Um, and it, I would say, especially our generation, you know, our parent, my parents didn't spend a lot of time fixing stuff for me, but yet we're wired to just kind of want to be fixers. And look, that's super admirable on one hand, but not always effective yeah. on the other. Um, and so the natural instinct is want to get in and fix. And what you you have to do is you have to get in and understand. You have to start there before you ever have a chance of being able to fix. And look, I'm saying this after getting it wrong for a long time. This is advice that I didn't know going in. This is advice that I could have used. Don't don't spend your time worrying about how to fix anything. Get in, get dirty, and figure out what they're experiencing. Whether it's alcoholism, figure out what alcohol figure out what alcoholism is, figure out what the process is, figure out what the language is, figure out, educate yourself, immerse yourself, go there. Yes. Same with mental health. Don't show up thinking you can fix it using your smarts and your cerebral part of your brain. It is worthless. And in fact, it's a wedge. You got to communicate from where they are yeah. and it requires work and you can't just show up and use what you use to run a good meeting to be a good dad. Or to be a good husband, you got to do the work to learn the language, mm-hmm. and it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. You, you don't know what you don't know problem. until you get in there and you realize how much you don't. You're know. gonna make it worse. Yeah, you sit there thinking you're helping and you're making it worse. Yeah, yeah. we experience the exact same thing. Yeah, it's like you can't do better unless you know better. And so there's many times in our relation, marriage, parenting, friendships. All of it. I love that lawn. I love it. The language, you have to learn it. You have to, you almost, you don't have to experience it, but you need to go there. The getting dirty to really just sit with someone and hear the depths of all just because it, it like things. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge with that is there's, there's a plethora of information, right? And how do you, sifting through the noise is a hard thing. And, um, I found just think just if we want to give people tools to to find stuff, there's Google, right? Okay, well Google is noisy. Yeah, it is. So there's YouTube, and there's good advice and bad advice on YouTube. But there is a lot of good advice, and as you go through more, you'll start things will start to float to the surface, right? You'll see you'll start to see a, a thread. I've learned recently that some of these AI tools like Bard from Google is a great way uh, alternative to doing a Google search. And I was doing, trying to research a company the other day and I couldn't get through on my Google searches. And so I put it into Bard and it came through with some helpful resources and I got the, my answer answered within a couple seconds. It was amazing. So that's a new tool. I think that people can use to get to those kind of answers and start that research journey, that learning journey. And then also, um, not going- a sponsor. Going directly, going directly to the source, someone who has experienced it, yes. yeah. someone who has been there, like, man, like I can sit here with, I can just look at you and you're not even saying a word. I can feel the feeling of walking through those front doors of going and getting help of a inpatient treatment center. Yeah. Find the people who've been there that have experienced it, have the conversations, because the minute that you feel like you have been seen and heard and understood, there's a level of 
like you shed a layer and then another layer. And then it's like pretty soon you're like, wow, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. There's other people who've experienced this because that isolation and feeling alone is really hard. So even for you, Lon, to like find other parents that have been through it. Like, what did you do? Seek the people who have already walked the walk and are honest, authentic, who really are speaking truth. Because there's other people who will feed you full of like the, the, the hype of the world. And it's not about the worldly ways. It's about, I mean, we live in a world that it can be pretty, pretty gross. And so we have to always center it back to truth, which yes. is the biblical truth. So um, I also want to do the shout out for you, Lon, because from the moment that I've met you, watching your passion and watching what you have done and you just being so vulnerable on a platform and like you're not just screaming from the mountaintops, you're literally walking the mountain with all these people and you're taking them with you and you're changing lives left and right from just being so open and honest. And so if you are not familiar with Lon, um, please go on to LinkedIn. He's got a private group called Normal 40. Um, there are people from all over the world that are telling their story and speaking truth about their walk in the corporate world and wanting to jump. And, you know, I just read a book. Um, I'm not fully finished, but Think Like a Monk. It's such a good book. Oh, yeah. oh man. It talks about your dharma. And um, I love learning about all different religions and different practices and things that people do to find their peace. In the way that a monk, um, I look at Yulan and I think when I was listening to that, it's the people are all just trying to find their dharma, the place where they fully feel like they're doing what God has called them to do on this earth. And when you hit that, just the way you soar in ways that you didn't have, you're like, what? Like, what is all this? And you're like, it's because you're operating in exactly what God put you on this earth to do. And you're living it. Like, I, it's fun to watch you doing it. And you're taking people with you. So just major kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah. And then the book, the book is called The Trade. Um, moving from the life you have to the life you want. And again, that is what I just talked about. So ultimately, the two of you, this father-daughter beautiful bond that you guys have is very admirable. Is that the right word? Admiral. Almost. <laughs> At, I'm like, no, that's like someone in the army. Admirable. A Navy, Ad- actually. <laughs> Navy. <laughs> oh, yes. That's the time. It's too many words have come out of my mouth. Okay. So it's, I admire it very, very much. It's beautiful. Yes. Um, so thank you for continuing to speak out about what happened. You're very brave. Thank you. Very brave. Yes. And you too, Lon. From the dad the parent perspective, it's both of you guys. I just, I, I love you both. So oh, thanks you for being too. here. Yeah. <laughs> that was quick for you and I to fall in love, but it happened. So <laughs> Amos is like, oh, girls. We get each other. <laughs> we do. <laughs> I see you. Uh, is this, this is a different communication language. I'm not this is really <laughs> familiar with this. Don't try to judge. Seek to understand. <laughs> This is where you use your ears only. <laughs> yes. Do not judge us for our awesomeness. Never, never. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in, Fortitude audience. Um, every time that we get the opportunity to share a story, we love that you tune in and um, put new tools in your toolbox. So thank you very much for being here. Thanks, you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>